1: have accessed entry 126.ez2010 certificate number 50204 beer tawil
2: an Indian explorer has declared himself the king of an 800 square mile strip of no man's land in Africa. The 24 year old Suyash Dikshit has laid claim to the strip of land between Egypt and Sudan, calling it the Kingdom of Dikshit. He has also planted his flag and has invented
0: investments and citizenship. He's planning to approach the United Nations with his demand to make a formal claim to the kingdom.
1: Beer to will. Beer to
2: will. Beer to will. It's, it's fun to say. What did Shakespeare's bartender say to him? <laughs> beer to will is uh, a place. Mm-hmm. It is a place with not a whole lot going on, but it's gotten a lot of attention.
0: Hmm. In, Sounds like my bedroom.
2: Events. Oh, Ding. Johnny Carson golf swing. <laughs> the interesting thing about beer to will is it is terra nullius. Mm hmm. Uh, Uh, Empty earth. Land of no one. Mm -hmm. You know, essentially no man's land in that it is one of the few places, vanishingly few places on the earth's surface to which there is no
1: political claim. Nobody wants it. (laughs) uh, Isn't there some ownership of it just by default? Yes. It's, uh, you know,
2: it's not an island. It is located in the uh, North African desert, the Nubian desert uh, between... Egypt, and Sudan, but for complicated historical reasons, uh, neither of them claim it. So it's essentially the same as the moon or <laughs> most of, uh, Marie bird land in West Antarctica. It's land that's sitting there perfectly good, except that it's in the middle of an arid African desert. And yet everybody says their borders go neatly around it.
1: Hmm. Is it full of toxic chemicals or is it a giant hole in the ground?
2: It's full of nothing. Hmm. It's an 800 square mile trapezoid in the middle of the desert. There is no, there are no permanent residents, much less any kind of cities or settlements. Mm -hmm. Um, There are nomadic tribes who wander through its wadis, its dry river valleys, especially during the rainy season, I
1: think. But there's almost no
2: vegetation there's no nothing.
1: Um, there are precedents for this, right? Like in the center, there are, there are quite a few national borders that happen in the center of the Sahara, and those borders are probably defined by some sort of space line, but they're really, from one end of the Sahara to the other, there's nothing, so they're more conceptual than anything else.
2: Sure, I'm sure there's people wandering around between Libya and Chad. That's there's, there's not a big, you know... Libya didn't build a wall and make Chad pay for it.
1: Right. (laughs) I don't uh, even know if there are people wandering around. If there are, it's because they crashed a B-17 in the 40s. and (laughs) They're
2: they're wandering around for about 12 minutes before they expire in the dunes. Right. Um, But this is a case where each country has a very specific version of the border, and they are quite clear that oil lies just on the other side of it. Uh Aha. Like a lot of um, badly drawn arbitrary lines in the desert, this dates back to The British colonial period.
1: As so many things do. As so many great, great things As so many border disputes
2: Not just border disputes, but, you know, probably polo, tea.
1: Hmm. But yeah,
2: also... Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. And also probably, you know, mass genocide of poor people of color, I can only assume.
1: Well, and the fact that the Kurds have no homeland.
2: Sure. Like, Iraq is a good example. There is no Iraq. Let's just draw some straight lines on a map at Versailles, and suddenly you've got this new... Um, Sunni, state.
1: Sunni states, right. right
2: next to. Oh no, Shiite I'm sorry. Iran. It was
1: mostly, most of the people in Iraq are Shiites. Right. But ruled by a Sunni and, overlord.
2: And the lines don't correspond to any actual religious or ethnic demarcation. So you have this weird kind of trapezoid shaped country, which then proceeds to inevitably have a century of problems because. So many
1: incidents of it, this. Right.
2: And in this case, it's because of Egypt and Sudan. In the late 19th century, Britain took over, you know, the Kedavit of Egypt, this kind of local but not really independent Egyptian puppet government from the Ottoman Empire. Mm -hmm. And they claimed Sudan, but that wasn't going so well. In the late 19th century, there was a Sudanese religious zealot called the Mahdi who was convinced that he was... uh, Mahdi is an Islamic term for a a promised messiah. Mm. So he was the return of, you know, he was the promised savior who would come and he kicked up a lot of fuss first against the local government and then against the British, which finally led to the siege of Khartoum and the death of general Gordon. Are are you super up on all this? Are you going to start showing me lead figurines of
1: (laughs) of the siege of Khartoum right now? I'm listening. I'm listening respectfully. Uh, I I understand what's happening uh, the Sudanese part of the Egyptian Sudan general area, which surprisingly has a lot of back and forth and back and forth all the way back to the era of the pyramids. Sure. They would trade with,
2: with Kush, you know, right. and, and all these people, Nubia, all these people to the south where they'd get their amazing ivory and, and incense and whatnot.
1: And the Nubians of the Sudan repeatedly invaded what we think of as Egypt and conquered it and ruled it and then vice versa. Right. But this is the late 19th century version of this, and there's a lot of stuff going on at this time globally, but also in this region, including the construction. This is all happening just post the construction of the Suez Canal.
2: Right. Uh, And Britain's building railroads as well. Everybody's making a massive land grab for Africa, and Sudan is particularly troublesome because they've got this religious zealot cutting off Chinese Gordon's head and, uh, on the steps of the palace in Khartoum and, you know, leaving it in a tre- ordering it left in a tree
1: wedged between tree branches for weeks so that the children can laugh at it and the hawks can wheel overhead. And he's in a, he's established a caliphate that's under Sharia law, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, that's the idea. He's going to, he's going to kick out the British and, uh, lead a, a sort of a charismatic religious leader and Islamist state.
1: This Um, feels ripped from the headlines. No,
2: this never happened again. (laughs) The funny thing is it stays contemporary even in Sudan, which I didn't know. As late as the 1980s, the prime minister of Sudan was the great-great-grandson of the Mahdi. Like this guy left a political dynasty that continued ruling the country through independence and beyond.
1: And this area has taken on, at this time in the late 19th century, tremendous significance, not just because of the colonial, like, land grab of Africa, all the, you know, Belgium and France, they're all down there trying to gather as much of Africa as they can to, mm. to provide wealth, to support their, uh, crumbling dynasties in Europe, but, uh, not to return too many times to the Suez Canal, although it's a favorite topic of mine. We should
2: return to the Suez Canal.
1: Um, it incre- tremendously increased the strategic significance globally of this area because all of a sudden all the ships that used to go around, the Horn of Africa, are now cutting through this uh, this region and all the ports are really significant and there's a lot of wealth moving through here. Yeah,
2: suddenly the Red Sea is the center of the world. Right. And that's where the Nubian Desert is. It's right between the Nile River and the Red Sea. And so at the end of the war, the, you know, after a few years of the Mahdi's rule, he, he dies soon after taking Khartoum. His family continues to rule. And in the uh, 1890s, Britain launches a kind of reconquest of the Sudan mm-hmm. manages to take it back. And at this point they have to decide how they're going to draw the borders of this new acquisition, you know, between Egypt and Sudan. And there's two attempts the, in the, the original attempt is in 1899, the treaty goes straight across the 22nd parallel. It's a horizontal line between Egypt and Sudan.
1: Just like the U S Canada border. Sure, They're just like, we don't understand this area at all. So let's just draw a straight line.
2: It's probably what you would, uh, Expect to see on a map today, if you can picture Southern Egypt, um, I guess our listeners maybe live in a world without these weird straight line borders,
1: Mm -hmm. but we have
2: plenty of them just for convenience. It's not always mountain ranges or rivers.
1: I really hope, and I uh, hope and pray that some new Woodrow Wilson does a better job of negotiating how the borders of these regions are apportioned because these straight lines are not effective.
2: It'll be one of these, uh, you know, electoral wonks that's always telling us how congressional districts should look right. you know, in our time.
1: Right. This is the this is the opposite of gerrymandering. This is just like...
2: Tom-mandering. <laughs> in the future, you know, everything will be gone except for 538 and the, the nerds will finally be able to make
1: the map look the way they always wanted to. So the first attempt at a border just went straight across across. the 22nd parallel. Right.
2: But then in 1902, there's a little nuance, you know, the world's getting, it's now the 20th century. The world's getting more complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, The British apparently know a little more about their
1: new protectorate. In three years time.
2: Somebody has actually, yeah, three years later, somebody's actually gone on the ground and realizes that the mountain of Bartazuga, although it's south of the border, has a Egyptian, largely uh, ethnically Egyptian population, Mm -hmm. whereas the Beja people who live on the Red Sea are Sudanese, but they are north of the 22nd parallel. Right. And so, you know, these are the enlightened men in monocles at their conference. Uh Uh-huh. And they say, it's easy. We'll use the 22nd parallel, but we'll do one little jog north to put Bartazuga in with Sudan, and then we'll take a jog south to put the Beja people in with Egypt.
1: Sure. This seems like if you're going to come in and arbitrarily draw borders as a colonial power who knows nothing about the area, this seems pretty progressive.
2: And it's you know it's a little less Minecrafty looking now. It it seems like it's a nod to actual nomads who might actually live there, the uh, Ababdas and the Bejas respectively. respectively. Mm -hmm. I almost said respectfully.
1: Respectfully, they thought
2: they were being respectful. Uh, And so now there's two versions of the map, and that becomes a problem when Egypt and Sudan claim independence, because now there's two versions that over there's two places that overlap. Beer to Will a little trapezoid, and then a triangle on the coast called the Halaib Triangle. Because according to the 1899 borders, one is Egyptian, and one is Sudanese. But on the later borders, the other way around, the one is Sudanese and the other is Egyptian.
1: Right. And one of them probably worth One more, of them is good. <laughs> one of them worth more than the other. Everyone wants the Halaib Triangle.
2: There's nothing wrong with Bir Tawil. It's perfectly nice. Right. I mean, it's not. It's, it's terrible. But there, you know, nobody's trying to get rid of it because it's a super fun site. But the Halaib Triangle is on the Red Sea, so... Strategic ports, as you mentioned.
1: Right, nice area. There's
2: vegetation. And there is, uh, at least later in the 20th century, we know there's natural gas. There's, there's the hope of, oh of oil boy. exploration. Oh, boy. So the Halaib Triangle is a real
1: bonanza. Sure. And this is 800 square miles or more?
2: Beer to is about 800 square miles. The Halaib Triangle is slightly larger. It's, it's, it seems like it's a little over 1,000. And it's, called, it's now called birtowil, which, by the way, is a word that the Ababda nomads used when they would pass through. It means deep water well, deep well. Oh. So there must have been some water source that the nomads knew of some oasis there that they would stop and use. Um, but except for that, birtowil means nothing to no one. So as a result, Egypt prefers the 1899 border that puts beer to will in Sudan. But Sudan prefers, to this day, the 1902 border that puts beer to will in Egypt. And everyone says, nope, nope, that little trapezoid is not
1: ours. Now, wait a minute. So Egypt prefers the 1899 border, not because they don't want beer to will, but because they do want- The Halaib tribe. The Halaib tribe. If there was
2: a way to claim both, sure. If these people, they, they aren't
1: dummies. Sure. But making a claim for this land, they are, they're basing their claim on the first treaty. Yes. And then Sudan is basing their claim on the second treaty. Right. But that disincludes Beer Bir Tawil. Yes. Aha.
2: So the British thought they were doing everybody a favor with this new enlightened border, and instead it just jacked everything up for a century.
1: Now, is this separation between Egypt and Sudan happening at some point before the 1956 independence of Sudan? Or is this a result of the throwing off of the colonial powers that happened after World War II?
2: Well, it really doesn't. Matter much. This place, the Nubian Desert, is the size of California. Uh-huh. So to get to Bir Tawil, you know, you would have to, you know, leave, uh, you know, the Aswan area by today by Lake Nasser in southern Egypt, and travel south for hours in a place with, I think, no roads. Or you'd have to go north from the northernmost city in northern Sudan, and again drive through a terrible wilderness filled with um, poor gold prospectors scrambling for a, a thin living. And armed criminal gangs, Mad Max style gangs, preying on the gold prospectors Hmm. and the occasional government patrol preying on the armed gangs. And if you can do that, then you get to this place in the middle of nowhere. So it it doesn't come up much.
1: This sounds like one of those adventures that you used to see in camel cigarette ads in the (laughs) 1970s where there'd be like three Land Rovers. And a couple of guys with blonde mustaches smoking cigarettes out in the middle of the desert.
2: It didn't really become an issue. I think until the 1990s when some Canadian oil company said, Hey, we'd love these natural gas rights in the Halaib triangle. Right. And at that point, Sudan tried to close the border and Egypt said, no way. The border's actually over here. And it led to a diplomatic standoff. So now it's actually a real issue.
1: So in the international convention of this kind of border history, what is the accepted stance did the 1902 border supersede the 19 or 1899 border so that the international community recognizes the the more contemporary treaty or does the 1899 treaty stand because it was the first treaty and later subsequent treaties were are disallowed because they were made by adventurers
2: right you know the second treaty should stand it should supersede the first one right. um except that My guess is there is a, usually what happens here, as we discussed when we told the future about the pig war Mm. and the, it turned out that the treaty was unclear between the U S and Canada, you know, probably when Egypt and Sudan were created.
1: Oh, there was a further treaty.
2: Yeah. And that just said, you know, the existing border set by Britain and did not specify. Right. So in general, when there's some ambiguity like that, these things will eventually go to some UN deliberative body. Um, You know, I know there are cases where both countries will send delegations to, you know, feverishly study old maps for years, trying to find some clause in the wording that makes their case a little better. But generally, some referee ends up deciding these things, Not, not too differently than when the Pope would tell Spain and Portugal, hey... This part is Brazil and this part is Argentina. Suck it up.
1: Sure, um, well, I, and I wish the Pope could intervene here. Except that we're talking about Muslim countries.
2: Maybe he'd be the best one to intervene. Oh, sure, you know? he
1: has no, but he has no dog in he this has race. No steak. He thinks they're all going <laughs> to hell. <laughs>
2: And he's a, you know, he's a much nicer, cuddlier guy now. We, we, you know, we currently have a friendly pope.
1: Oh, we do have a friendly pope. To our, future, to futurelings who are probably living under a uh, a draconian pope, a super mean, <laughs> like
2: borgia style sixteenth century pope.
1: Yeah, a bad pope who who has sex with his cousin, but is also like inspiring like future Martin Luther's.
2: We have a super nice one who sneaks out at night to yep. shanty towns. Yep, this in, one in wears
1: wears flip flops, and he believes in human rights. And surfs. And, oh, you know, he surfs, right. Yeah, a
3: lot of people don't know that. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus $20 off your first box when you visit ButcherBox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's ButcherBox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. And I wrote, I wrote, so when I discovered that
2: beer 2 well was terra of course, this is a, a very kind of romantic thing for me because it harkens back to a, an age when the world was not fully explored.
1: Right. This seems uh, unusual in our time, but, but also pretty exciting that there would be a place in the world that nobody wanted. Uh, you could go like build your weird uh, separatist like Home- coo- Homeland, homeland. <laughs> for people who
2: like love parakeets in a, in a very physical, sexual, erotic way. Yeah. Or, so, or, so is that whatever. happening? Uh, there are, so there were during the 20th century a spate of these little micronations, you know, people taking over oil platforms or river islands or whatever, and saying that this is now their homeland. Mm -hmm. And there were some people who did that to Beer to Will. You know, if you look online, you can find kind of armchair explorers uh, declaring, who have read about this place, declaring that they now run the kingdom of the state of Beer to Will or the emirate of uh, Beer to Will. The Grand dukedom of Birtuil. There's an empire of Birtuil, United Arab Republic of Birtuil. There's even a United Lunar Emirate of Birtuil. Hmm. Even our lunar overlords hmm. are, have landed from the moon to uh, to plant their flag.
1: And you're, by Armchair Explorer, you're saying that none of these people have actually been to Birtuil? As far as I know, none of these people actually went there. I see.
2: And in 2011, I wrote a little thing, of, a little stub about Birtuil for a travel magazine, and I ended what I wrote, uh, by saying, do you want beer to will? It's unclaimed land. So go ahead and set up shop. This can be the fabled homeland for your ethnic group, religious sect, or fringe political belief of choice, Mm -hmm. which I thought was, you know, a funny joke.
1: Sure. But Uh, then you got an angry letter.
2: Unfortunately, three years later, it came true. I don't know if somebody in particular saw my words as a challenge (laughs) or if it was just one of these uh, guys spinning a globe. It was Marilyn, Marilyn Vos Savant, wasn't it? <laughs> Marilyn Vos Savant, just with the power of her brain could sense unclaimed <laughs> land in the Sahara. Uh, no, it was a, uh, oddly, a Virginia man named Jeremiah Heaton. In various news accounts, he's sometimes a farmer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he's a, a mining uh, company employee. He ran for Virginia's ninth congressional district as an independent. And then I think two years later as a Democrat uh,
1: back in the early 2000s. I'm picturing him in a big floppy hat with a blunderbuss.
2: You can kind of imagine the kind of dabbler this is Uh with a different job in every newspaper profile.
1: (laughs) Jeremiah, (laughs) Virginia.
2: Good old Jeremiah Heaton. Uh, has a daughter, a seven-year-old daughter and Emily going through a princess phase. Sure. Is this something you can identify with?
1: I absolutely can. I have a seven-year-old daughter going through a, a lengthy princess phase.
2: Well, you are probably not as good a dad as Jeremiah because- <sighs> True.
1: When he Almost on, certainly. On so many <laughs> levels. <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: but what he did was he, you know, she really wanted to be a princess. And instead of doing what you or I would do, which would be to say, you can be anything you want to be, honey. Or tell us what you like about your favorite princess. Oh, you also are kind to animals, you know, or. I say to my daughter,
1: what about a ninja princess? Because, you know, I really wanted a son. (laughs) 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 No, of course that's untrue. How come sons are never wandering around the house saying they want to be princes? Princes, I would like to be, I'm sure there are, there are listeners who have uh, seven-year-old sons who do want to be princes.
2: I, Daddy, princes. I want a little velvet
1: cap Yeah. And, and sleeves that are puffier at the cuff than at the shoulder. I actually maybe was that child because my dad routinely would return from European trips with little velvet suits and uh, and puffy shirts for me. Is that
2: why you're uh, sitting across from me right now, wearing those little purple velvet shorts?
1: And the pointy pointy-toed <laughs> slippers is a big part of it.
2: But I you, thought you were an elf. I totally uh, misunderstood the a point of this. Podcast. Very
1: large elf. Uh, I did. I was one of those kids that wanted my mother's cast-off makeup. Anytime she had a lipstick that she wasn't using anymore or a, a rouge box. She would give it to me and I had a makeup kit and I would make myself pretty. I would put lipstick on and rouge and, um, and it was kind of a big part of being for me, I guess between the ages of six and nine. Yeah. Six and 26. I think by the time I was nine, I, I wasn't making myself pretty anymore, but for several years there as a child, I had, you know, I kind of prized my makeup kit Maybe not over my Legos, but but it was one of certainly one of my favorite toys. Did you sit on the
2: floor of your mom's closet kind of touching her shoes tenderly?
1: No, no, I had my I think I imagined that I was a like a seventeenth century prince of Scotland because A I had very little idea what really the aesthetic of Scotland was. But (laughs) when I think of Scotland, I think of (laughs) Rouge and lip gloss. <laughs> but I think I was, I, I had like a Louis Cator's idea of what it was to be a prince, mm-hmm. but, but the Scots wore kilts. So I just sort of made the connection. Ah, they must be the most. They're the most uh, like.
2: Um, uh, Gender bending.
1: Yeah. Pr- sort of the prettiest of all, because I did have kilts that my father had brought back. So I would. You, you know, also wore kilts. I wore kilts. The oh. plot thickens. Well, here's the, here, here it's, it's part of my family lore. My grandfather was ashamed of being Welsh and so lied to his own kids and said he was Scottish and descendant from, of course, as every American says, descendant from Scottish princes. And so my father and his siblings believed their own father and then passed that down to me. And so we thought we were Scots.
2: You discovered late in life you were actually a false Scot.
1: So my dad and his siblings went back to Scotland in the mid-1980s and searched everywhere for any connection to, you know, they were like, we're the Rodericks. And every Scottish person they met said, Roderick is a first name in Scotland. There are no people with the surname Roderick. And little by little, they unraveled this thread and realized that we were Welsh. (laughs) But anymore, there's not a, uh, there's no stigma attached to being Welsh it's not assumed that you Welsh on your debt,
2: right? I was about to say, like that's our word for not making good on a debt it does come from the the sneakiness of
1: the of the Welsh. Sure, people. it was a slur, uh, and now it was fine to be Welsh. And so, uh, anyway, we've embraced our Welsh heritage. But in the, at the time in the seventies, my dad would bring back all this Scottish, you know, these tartans and things, kind of trying to bolster the story that we were the, the heritage, so we were Scott princes.
2: My daughter went through a princess phase. But I never promised her an actual castle because that's insane.
1: But in this case, Jeremiah of Virginia.
2: He made a flag mm-hmm. for his new country. He read about Birtuo, mm-hmm. made a flag, you know, a very kind of Disney princessy kind of a flag, a gold crown on a field of blue surrounded by. A, a golden dragon. <laughs> the stars. A dra- and a, a dragon and a lion. Rays or whatever. Right. And he secured permission from the Egypt Egyptian government to. Drive south from Egypt into what's normally a part of the desert that's barred by military, and uh, like led some jeep convoy to Bir Tawil, and planted a flag. And flew home and got on the internet saying that he was now King Jeremiah of the kingdom of North Sudan.
1: He went there and got permission
2: from the Egyptians to do this? Well, the Egyptians, I don't, so that's a big part of his story is that he has permission from the Egyptians.
1: Right, but they just gave rhymes. him permission to go, not to, not to seize.
2: Yes, I think they, they let, he got some kind of permit. He paid off, he paid 200 bucks to whoever would let him drive a Jeep convoy. South through someplace the military would normally stop you at a checkpoint. Right. Uh, they didn't know that he had a, uh, a velvet flag in right. the back of the Jeep. And, uh, and he got home and told his daughter she was now a princess. She was part of the ruling family of the uh, kingdom of North Sudan. She has no subjects, of course. Right. There's no population in North Sudan. He didn't ask any of the uh, Abda nomads what they thought of their new
1: blonde seven-year-old uh, <laughs> goddess. And I guess there's... There's plenty of uh, precedent for this in history. You know the not recent history, John. Like well, not like, not good parts of history. <laughs> not recent history, but you know the uh, the nation of Liechtenstein, okay. which is a very small country, kind of carved out of the border area between Switzerland and Austria, mm-hmm. is named for and was a duchy of the family Liechtenstein who never actually resided in Liechtenstein and at the time of its creation had never been to uh, or, like, or visited in any way. They're like record executives with a tax shelter? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was, yeah
2: my company's in the uh, Cayman Islands and uh, Liechtenstein. It was
1: like a reward, some uh, Holy Roman Empire-style reward, like, oh, you guys, you know, you get your own Ducci, it's over here in Liechtenstein. And they were like, yeah, we're fine living in Vienna or whatever. (laughs) The
2: the restaurants are much better here. the the, You know, we're not going anywhere without good chamber music.
1: Yeah, I don't think the roads were particularly good at that time because they're not very good even now.
2: So, uh, Jeremiah Heaton was at, when word of this got around, when he started telling people, hey, I'm now the king of the kingdom of North Sudan, there was immediately a wave of bad publicity on a couple levels. Uh First of all, He's a bad parent uh-huh. because when, <laughs> when his daughter had some whim that she would have forgotten about by the next afternoon, right. he instead d- drove to Sudan to deliver her fondest dreams, right. which, is, which is always what makes amazing children if you give them everything they want. Sure. That's
1: what Charlie and the Chocolate Factory taught me. <laughs> <laughs> sure, uh, but, but without that, there wouldn't have been the, the band Veruca Salt. So that's true. There's good and bad. There
2: should be four other bands named for the other children. Right. Like I would listen to Mike TV on the radio.
1: <laughs> oh, don't don't do it, Ken. Let's this see. Is, Could you this do the rest. This is what happened the last time when you talked about uh, uh, beard to will. <laughs> what happened when I talked about beard to will? <laughs> well, you created the nation of beard to will. Oh, because I because almost certainly this guy heard about it by reading your column in Parade magazine. This is the angel
2: of moles. You know, right. this is this is a. Uh, all kinds of fictional journalism about there being a possible country here actually turning into a real country. Yeah. I don't think I was to blame. Any, no, but anybody anybody could look at an atlas and say, "Hey, what's this weird trapezoid?"
1: But anyone now could listen to this podcast and start a band called Mike TV. <laughs> is what I'm
2: saying. <laughs> um so he's criticized for that not just but not just being a parent for being a bad person, for being a bad white person, Well, you uh, know? A, col-
1: a, a colonial
2: right. Race. Like a colonizer as they would say in Black Panther, wow. you know? Like that guy flew across the ocean to some little bit of uh, land in Africa.
1: Right. You know. To uh, which he held no rightful claim.
2: But what he did have, a lovely flag. All right. A fancy flag.
1: And a permit to travel.
2: Because he paid somebody off. He's got cash and a flag. And now he can say... He's the king of North Sudan, and this is not hypothetical for many of those people who were descendants of tribes who had to work for King Leopold of Belgium in his—what was he? I was going to say sweat mines, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't mining sweat from the Congo. What was he mining? Gold?
1: Well, everything. The Congo is a very rich uh, part of the world, and so King Leopold was up there just— Raping and pillaging, literally, that's where we get that phrase.
2: Yeah, it, it wasn't the nice kind of rape, like carrying off a lady to a different village. It wasn't like the Roman kind. Right. Like no. there was actual terrible stuff going on. Yeah. And so this is not hypothetical to people in Africa or, uh, you know, well-meaning white columnists uh, <laughs> writing
1: on their behalf. <laughs> right. Or, or the Twitter army who are looking every morning for something to be mad about.
2: For some new offense. And so uh, there's immediate backlash to the kingdom of North Sudan. It's not even real, and it's immediately the least popular country on earth. It's worse than North Korea.
1: But this guy has run for public office in Virginia, so he's no stranger to being yelled at by strangers. Sure. He's
2: been a wacko third-party candidate (laughs) in the the weird little uh, triangle at the end of Virginia. So he he knows what he's talking about. Um, And he created a Kickstarter. um,
1: Oh, back when people did that.
2: He was trying to take his narrative back. So this was, in our day, this was a way in which people could make strangers pay their bills. Right. Um, Other generations had Robin Hood, I guess. Hmm. We have Go fund me. And the tagline was, this would be, this would be the world's first crowdfunded nation. Get in on the ground floor, help us build the kingdom. And he would sell, uh, uh, what do counts have? Uh, counties and, and duchies and oh, I see. Earldoms. Right, he
1: he was dividing it up like a park bench in a in St. Louis. Yeah, like, put your name on this.
2: It was yeah, or like a dispossessed white Russian in the 1930s selling right. off all his weird titles. Right, I see. Uh, you know, earldoms and what do
1: counts have? Not a count them. No, uh, counts actually do have counties. That's where we That's get where the counties term comes from. Yeah, uh, count was granted counties and not necessarily. Counties that touched each other. Um, oh, it used be little islands of. Oh, like you mean, uh, you have an archipelago of land? Yeah, you could be a count and have like county here, county there. That's uh, why it's, that's
2: why our word count comes from. You actually have to count you the, count no, your the number of possessions you have. One, two, uh, three, three, three
1: impoverished uh,
2: counties. Uh, uh, uh,
1: uh, uh. Uh. Um, And uh, like a count is a kind of nobility that's uh, between a baron and a duke. So it's not a low ranking like, style. What do barons have? Baronesses? Baronies.
2: They have baronies? Barons have baronies. It It sounds like a breed of dog, actually. Oh, it's a huge, it's a beautiful, shaggy baronies.
1: Sure, they guard the temples of, uh... Uh, the, the Counts of Syrinx. <laughs> <laughs> Is this some weird Masonic uh, order you're trying to create no, for the future? I'm, I'm afraid that was a
2: Rush
0: reference. Oh, oh man. Even, what's
2: worse? What's a worse cult than Freemasonry? <laughs> Rush fans.
0: <laughs> have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Yousician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start
2: what if this guy's daughter had said she wanted to be like a pirate would he like robbed a bank
1: what if she wanted to be a Muppet? No, I think he would have taken over a tanker ship in, uh, <laughs> in the Red Sea. Uh, I'm the captain now. <laughs> so this
2: guy creates a Kickstarter and eager to be on the right side of every issue, tired of being pilloried by, uh, by good progressives in the press. He uh, says that um, his new kingdom is a blank slate, quote, ready to be developed into a cutting-edge research center for agricultural technology and energy efficiency. Huh? He wants to create a, a utopia, an, agri, an agri-science, forward-thinking... Utopia, Wakanda, in the middle of the Sudan.
1: Boy, this guy is really light on his feet.
2: That's, you know, if he, he's run for office under two different political parties. Like, this guy knows which way the wind's blowing.
1: So did this work? Did this mollify all the, uh, the dubious naysayers?
2: Well, no. His a Kickstarter earned only a tiny fraction of the, I think, quarter of a million dollars mm. he needed to... I don't even know what's he going to do well, there. I don't know.
1: Put put some
2: put soy farms there, or maybe just take the money and run. And uh.
1: my sense is the first thing you do in a lot of these cases when you buy land is you put a, a Gulfstream trailer on it. So like you drive out there with a with like a, a food truck. You, no, you you drive I hope, out. I hope that the nomads want tacos. <laughs> you you buy some old RV and you think you're going to go live on it bef- while you build your cabin. Uh. And then what it ends up being is like an acre in the forest with a with an RV on it. And you're just making meth. Well, and the yeah, the right the RV starts to leak, and then pretty soon you never go there again.
2: And he was also pitching Jeremiah Heaton was also pitching other governments uh, and pr- particularly corporate higher ups with the promise that his country in his country um, multinational. Corporations would be unfettered by taxes and oh, regulation. Oh, this is
1: the big one, right? So he's
2: also, you, we already know he's a little odd, but now we know he's a libertarian. We found something worse than Rush listeners.
1: Yeah, this is like flagging your ship in the Cayman Islands. Yes. Right.
2: And he's, he's not the only one. Uh, there is a place called Liberland, Right. Have you heard of Liberland? I
1: feel like I have.
2: This is going to be right up your alley because it's on the banks of the Danube.
1: Maybe maybe I read about it in Parade magazine. <laughs> uh, I think this this one's not my fault, John. It's on the banks of the Danube.
2: Yes, which which is you know John Roderick, if you were a river, I have would traveled. Be the
1: I have traveled not the length of this river, but I have traveled this river at various stages. If you
2: have wandered its banks with any kind of bindle or walking stick or corncob pipe, uh-huh. you may have passed through Liberland. The Danube changes its course pretty frequently, right? Between uh, in this case between Serbia and Croatia. Yes, um, and of course every time a river changes its course, it becomes a legal nightmare. Like do the people who are now on the left side of the river. Do they, does the border stay there or, right. do, or do they now move to the other country every time the river
1: moves? I have heard of Liberland. It's basically a swamp, right? It's a swampy area that people keep sailing across and planting flags and the, and the Serbs like have a patrol boat that, that is dedicated to just keeping people off of this sandbar. Uh,
2: yeah, the, uh, the, I believe the Croats have owned the border. It's the same kind of deal as beer to will, where mm-hmm. if, if Serbia or Croatia decides that they want... This area, Gornia Siga, um, they would have to give up the part that actually has towns and stuff.
1: Right, where the river changed course at some point and people live
2: there. And of course, everybody wants the town. Both governments want the towns, Mm -hmm. which means they both have to give up Gornia Siga, which is so... I think it's just... I don't know if it's swampy, but it's just undeveloped. Forest with a like a, a, an old barn or hunter's cabin or something.
1: Well, I feel like it is kind of not maybe entirely uninhabitable, but certainly like mosquito filled and not, not ideal.
2: It's off the grid. Yeah. But that's what you want if you are a right-wing Czech politician named Vid Yedlika.
1: Wait, he's a Czech? Yeah. Why is, why does... Total total carpetbagger. Why does a Czech have anything to do with this?
2: Uh, As a young man, he watched his father's company go bankrupt, which Hmm. his father always blamed on the man on, you know, taxes and regular, you know, the government had raised interest rates
1: or whatever. Sure. This is where Hitler came from.
2: (laughs) This is where every young college libertarian comes from, I think. (laughs) And so he decided that his dream would be to set up a libertarian utopia where nobody pays taxes. There's no government regulation. I don't know why he didn't just go to Somalia. Right, you know, they, they've already got a, a government for utopia, baby.
1: Yeah, I feel like I feel like there are a lot of people vying for that role in Somalia that he <laughs> may not be equal to.
2: That's what I think of every time I see some car driving around uh, unincorporated Snohomish County with a "that government is best which governs least" sticker. Yeah, I'm like, dude, I got some, I got some spots on the map for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you'll like them that much, but. So Yedlicka uh, has uh, claims he has the rights to this place that neither Serbia nor Croatia wants. And Croatia has since closed the border on they, their side, which he says is tacit understanding that he can have it. Right. That, that, so he, uh, he's got big plans. It's exactly how you would imagine some Ayn Randian weirdo starting a little Balkan country. He uh, won the first presidential election there with one vote yes. because his girlfriend voted for him. Of course. That was nice. I guess maybe it's a little different than most young libertarians because he has a girlfriend. Oh, I wish I could ring a bell for that. All the young Randians are tuning out now. I feel bad. What if, what if objectivism is the only religion left in the future? And now our whole archive has been burned
1: just because Uh, I was having a
2: little fun with Liberland.
1: I feel like objectivism is on its last legs, even now.
2: (laughs) Um, He is planning a a Bitcoin-like digital currency because
1: of course he is. Is he going to have like an Estonian style, like open internet, free digital currency? Country I can only imagine,
2: although right now there's no, you know, cables or wires there. So he has a few tech challenges to creating his new techno-libertarian utopia. The, The national motto is live and let live, and... At one point, around 2015, he assigned a straight edge Czech rapper to compose his national anthem.
1: Is that guy still working on it, or has he actually composed the the anthem?
2: I can just imagine that guy just taking more money. Yeah, it's taking me a little longer. I'm going to need 500 more liber bucks.
1: <laughs> In the Czech language, he's going a hip, a hop, a hip hip <laughs> hop, and you don't stop rocking.
2: I would like to hear you do some a pastiche of what you imagine straight edge Czech rap to be.
1: Yeah. Here,
2: I'll do the I'll do a beat. The, the, the problem
1: is like <laughs> the you know the Slavs don't. Love being mocked. This is one of the characteristics of the of I see. their national or their uh, their racial identity.
2: So if we go after objectivists, that's fine. But if we make a few too many defenestration jokes here,
1: yeah, it's
2: going to be a yeah. We've covered too that far. ground already. Yadlaka um, is very uh, bullish about his little libertarian utopia. He's received two hundred thousand emails uh-huh. requesting citizenship in its first week alone. This uh-huh. is this is probably because he went on the internet and said his country will have quote optional taxation.
1: And do the Croats agree that he uh, can have title to this land and the Serbs do not? No, I don't think anyone agrees. Oh, I don't I think
2: see. anyone likes him at all. The Croats have patrolled the border now, uh-huh. which to him is, uh, ah, they have recognized the border that stops here. Uh-huh. Therefore, they're okay with, they've, you know, it's yeah. not a real claim.
1: Now, I just want to add one more thing because you have, this whole idea has crossed over into an area of my own interest.
2: Which is taking over foreign governments.
1: No, which is the Oswan Dam. The Aswan Dam was built on the Nile River to collect the water of the Nile and to keep the Nile from flooding.
2: Just north of the Egyptian Sudanese border, right?
1: Right. And the Aswan Dam was built, or there's a lower Aswan Dam that was built a long time before by the British, but the upper Aswan Dam was built in the 1950s during this period, the era where Sudan had declared its independence. Egypt is modernizing under, uh, I guess, Nasser at Nasser, this point. and Nasser is playing both sides of the Cold War against one another and uh, secures financing and uh, material support from the Soviet Union. To build the dam. To build the upper Aswan Dam as part of his like diplomacy game against the Americans and the British.
2: Uh, one story I like here is that because the dam floods the lake uh, upstream of it, they actually had to move temples brick by brick. Abu Simbal, they take apart brick by brick and move it to higher ground so it doesn't wind up
1: at the bottom of Lake Nasser. Right. And, but there were a lot of villages that they didn't bother to do <laughs> right. this with. Those are just the temples. The people can go hang. So there was an area called the Wadi Halfa salient, which was another one of these areas. I wasn't uh, entirely like aware of, of the Hala'ib triangle, but I was aware of this because this was an area along the Nile that was not really accessible from Egypt but was accessible from Sudan and Ah. there were numerous villages along the Nile in this area. And during this colonial period, they had agreed to allow the Sudanese to administer this land along the Nile. And after the Aswan dam was built, the upper Aswan, it flooded all the villages in this region, but there's still a tiny little portion of what had been this salient which is, I guess, according to your uh, different border disputes, would still be c- included in this situation where it would be administered by Sudan. But there's nothing there; it's like a little tiny sliver of land because the flood basically flooded over what had formerly been the administrative borders.
2: That's exactly right because it is, it is based on the two different borders, but the
1: the Wadi Halfa the Wadi
2: salient actually exists. Uh, Meanwhile, in North Africa, um, Jeremiah Heaton has some challengers.
1: Oh, really? Yes.
2: He's got a uh, a Siberian GPS tycoon.
1: Who mounted another Jeep expedition.
2: Who also made his way to Beertowil and planted his own flag. He's one of these ham radio guys. We talked about this, Uh I believe. Guys who will just go to some, they'll go to some unreachable place. They'll go to Wake Island and set up a station so that amateur radio buffs all over the world can... Contact them while they're there and c- check it off their list because these guys are uh, right are obsessive place collectors, destination collectors.
1: So he set up a ham radio station out here in Bir Yeah, so he's
2: he's always been going to weird places. And when he saw an, a like a unclaimed island on the map that was neither the National Geographic yellow of Egypt or the pink of Sudan, he was like, "Oh boy!" Uh, I actually do a Russian accent.
1: <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> That, that is for me. And I don't think that's a good Russian
2: name. No, what even, what even was that? <laughs> and, uh, and so he, cl- and he planted his flag and he uh, claims that Heaton's claim is fake. And I think Heaton claims that he, d- he wants to know where Heaton's flag is. Oh. And Heaton's like, oh, so you can go pull it up? And he's like, no, just because I don't think you planted a flag.
1: Sure. Sounds like the stirrings of war.
2: He probably refers to himself in the third person. Vladimir does not believe you planted flag.
1: (laughs) There you go. Ah, Nice. Redeemed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Does not believe you planted flag in desert. Uh, Moose and squirrel (laughs) are in big trouble. (laughs) So they each want to know where the other's flag is, probably so they can go, you know, chop it into... Kindling.
1: Right. Although it can't be cheap to travel to this area.
2: No. See, that's the thing. Like yeah. it's, it's never going to catch on. It's a, it's a symbolic gesture. So I, I feel like it's okay to oppose it on, on, you know, well-meaning progressive symbolic grounds because that's really all it is. Right. It, it doesn't make me want to go set up my own techno utopia in the African desert.
1: No. Although the other area in question, the Hala, uh, the Halaib triangle does seem like a place that if you were going to go plant a flag. You know, you had some, you'd have some Red Sea ports and you'd have some
2: uh, tree-lined streets. Someday Heaton's going to have a son who (laughs) wants to be a pirate because that's what Disney's doing now. Their, their whole pirates thing is to try to give little boys an alternative to princesses and fairies. Right. And keep them buying the the churros at the theme parks.
1: Right. But this could be a Moana type situation where she sails her boat with. uh, Oh, wow. Sails across the Red Sea. Yeah. Kind of reverse exodus. Yeah. Sets up some situation with her giant jewel uh, and, um. And but there you've actually got to do some gunboat diplomacy. She you know? brings the rock with her.
2: <laughs> Young Emily Heaton and possibly the rocker Vin Diesel. They mm. have to show up with a bunch of rifles and start shooting up villages because yeah. there are people in the halay Triangle and, uh, you know, two countries. This time you've got t- two countries. This is not Terra Nullius. This is Terra Doubleius. Right. But, you know, you've got two countries who think they own the oil there.
1: Well, and, and one place you don't want to mess around right now is the Sudan <laughs> or rather Sudan. <laughs> Uh, because uh, they just had a civil war that lasted for decades. They all know how to clean their, their rifles.
2: Right. If there's one part of the world where little girls are not super safe, right. it might be Northern Africa. Um, one last bit of good news for Vid Yedlika. He has been recognized by Liberland, the libertarian utopia oh. on the Danube, which by the way is on a waterway. It's not like beer to will. You, sure. can, you can sail a boat to Liberland. It's, sure. This is a little more of a real world threat.
1: So now Um, they're starting to recognize one another.
2: He has been recognized by exactly one other nation in the world.
1: Not coincidentally, also
2: a Slav. Wait, in what way is he a Slav?
1: Well, uh, the Czech people are are Slavic and so are the Russians, although, you know, not exactly like their cousins.
2: But interestingly, uh, it is not the Siberian who has recognized his claim. Oh, it's actually the the Virginia farmer. It's actually King Jeremiah. Of the oh North Sudan. wow! A little switcheroo. I think he knows which side his bread is buttered uh-huh, on. Uh huh. He wants in on those Liber bucks.
1: And that concludes Bir Ta'wil, entry one two six e z two zero one zero, certificate number five zero two zero four, in the omnibus. In the unlikely event social media still exists in your era. These works and our other works, our adjacent works, are archived at Omnibus Project, basically on all forms of social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, probably new ones that have not been invented for us:
2: Snapchat, Chat Snap. You have to have fake ones like, you know, the
1: fake street drugs, Gronk and gronk right. and Gronk, Creak. Gronk
2: Snap, Geoblanc,
1: Geoblanc. Uh, well, just look for us at@, at Omnibus Project on Geoblanc. Uh, I also had personal Instagram and Twitter accounts and Ken had a Twitter account under at our respective names. Uh, You can send us emails through uh, one of those Star Trek style... uh, Wormholes? Time wormholes that are never properly explained. Time vortices? At the email address omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. And we have a fan group on Facebook called The Futurelings and you can find them using even your most rudimentary Facebook finding skills
2: Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past we have no idea how long our civilization is going to survive We hope and pray that the whatever the singularity or cataclysm that awaits us uh, may never come maybe held off indefinitely But if it comes soon, this very recording like all our recordings could be our final word to you but we hope that Providence will allow us to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.